Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. say good morning also. It is great to be here with you this morning. I hope you're still smiling after that song. Um, I don't know, was everybody smiling during that song? Some of you aren't smiling now. Go ahead and give me a big smile because we are happy to be here this morning. We're talking about the mission of God's people and I'm in the midst, in fact I'm finishing up a short three-part series asking the why question of mission. We've been asking why we should make God's mission our mission and why we should order our lives according to his will. And in answer to those questions, I've been offering three different realities, three truths that are revealed in God's word, revealed in the Bible that explain why embracing God's mission is exactly the right thing for us to do. So two weeks ago, we saw that we should embrace God's mission as our mission because of the reality of I am. God is. He isn't a God. He is the God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. And if we acknowledge that the God of the Bible is the God, and if we call on his name and claim him as our God, then it follows that we should also claim his mission as our mission. The God is our God, so his mission is our mission. That's reality number one, the reality of I am. And then last week we introduced the second truth that explains why we should make God's mission our mission. It's the reality that God's story is the story. His story is the story that encompasses all other stories. It tells us why things are the way they are. It tells us how things came to be the way they are. And it tells us how things are going to be in the future. And if we acknowledge that God's story is the story, and if we claim his story as our story, then it follows that we should also claim his mission as our mission. That's reality number two, the reality that his story is the story. And that brings us to today's topic, reality number three, and that's the reality of God's people. You know, one of the most remarkable things about God's story is that the God has chosen to work through people, through flawed people, through weak people. 
through people like Abraham and Moses and also people like me and people like you. God hasn't chosen just to work on people. And he hasn't chosen just to work for people. God has also chosen to write his story and accomplish his mission through people. Through his people. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, ever since the call of Abraham, God has been working to redeem and reconcile and bless all people. Bless all nations through his redeemed and reconciled and blessed people. We see that most clearly through the people of promise, the descendants of Abraham. As we read through our Old Testaments, we see that God's redeeming mission is clearly seen through Moses and the Exodus, the Exodus of Abraham's descendants from Egypt and Egyptian slavery. It's the story of people who once worked the land of Pharaoh, but who God redeemed and gave them a land of their own. It's the story of people who were once enslaved by a nation, but who God rescued and made into a nation of their own and of his own. To use biblical language, once they were not a people, but now Abraham's children are the people of God. So why should we care about all of that? Why should we care about the exodus? Why should we care about the promises that were given to Abraham's descendants? Well, we should care about all of that because the people who were rescued from Egypt are not only God's people, they're our people. That may sound like a kind of startling statement. To claim that the people who walked on dry ground through the middle of the Red Sea were not only Abraham's descendants, but they were also our ancestors. His people are our people. So how is that possible? Well, listen to Paul explain how that is possible. I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 3. I'll start reading with verse 26. Paul says this. He's speaking to Christians. He says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, that's how it's possible. If we, or if anyone for that matter, anyone of any nationality, male or female, slave or free, if anyone acknowledges that God is the God, and if they confess that the God has, the God has authority over their lives, if they give God authority over their lives as their God, and if through Jesus Christ and through baptism, if we embrace God's story as our story, if we embrace the story as our story, then just like the Israelites, just like those who walked through the middle of the Red Sea, we too are Abraham's children. We too are God's people. We are his people. And his people are our people. 
And their story is our story. You see, we're part of God's great continuing story of redemption. And you know, if we cut ourselves off from the Old Testament, if we cut ourselves off from that part of God's story, if we treat that like it's a different story or maybe it's someone else's story, if we don't recognize and embrace that as also part of our story, then it becomes impossible for us to truly grasp and truly understand and appreciate what it means to be called the people of God. You see, the New Testament isn't a sequel to the Old Testament. And it isn't God's reboot. It isn't God's do-over. No, the New Testament is a continuation of the same story, of God's great story. Jesus put it this way. He was talking about his mission. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I think I can safely paraphrase Jesus this way. He's saying, do not think that I came to set aside or to ignore the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to get rid of that story. Instead, I've come to complete that story. Which is why it shouldn't be surprising to us that our Christian identity and our Christian mission They're both deeply rooted in the calling of Israel. They're deeply rooted in the way that Israel saw themselves and how they told their story. Our story and our identity is deeply rooted in the law and the prophets. It's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. You see, they were called children. They were called children of God because of their faith and we are children of God through our faith. They were Abraham's seed and we are Abraham's seed. They were heirs of God's promise and we are heirs of God's promise. Their God is our God. Their story is our story. His people are our people. And like Israel, the church, the church is a great nation. It's a people it's a community. And like Israel, we're a community of memory and a community of hope. You see, Israel was known for looking back and rehearsing and remembering and celebrating God's great redemptive work as he brought them out of slavery. And what do we do? Well, we look back. And we rehearse and we remember and we celebrate God's great redemptive work as he brought us out of slavery. They were a community of memory and we are too. But they were also a community of hope and so are we. They looked forward to a better place. They looked forward to a better land provided by God. What do we look forward to? Well, we look forward to a a better place and a better land provided by our God. See, we too are a community of memory and of hope. And you know, as remarkable as their story is, from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob and from Jacob to Joseph, and then to Moses and the plagues and the Red Sea and the Exodus... 
to Joshua and the conquering of Canaan. As remarkable as their part of the story was, our story is even more remarkable. You see, our story is more remarkable because our part of the story is made possible by Jesus. Jesus, not only a servant, but Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus incarnated. Jesus walking beside us as God. You see, our story tells the story of the cross. It tells the story of the gospel of Jesus. And it's through the cross and the gospel of Jesus that we have become citizens of God's people. That's our nation. We've even become members of his household. We are children of God. John put it this way in John chapter 1. He said to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That's our identity. That's the identity that we share together. We are God's children. And we're his treasured possession. We are his people. And as God's people, we share the identity and the mission that was given to Abraham and Israel. You see, our story isn't some Cinderella story. We weren't brought in as stepchildren or maybe lesser children. No, we are fully adopted children with all the rights and responsibilities that come with being an heir of God. His people are our people. His mission is our mission. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about identity and mission. First, let's talk about our identity. As God's people, who are we? You know, that was one of the big questions that faced the first century Christians. You think about it. In the first century church, every member of the church was a new Christian. And everybody who came to Jesus came with their old identities that were very well entrenched and well established. And so as we read through our New Testaments, we see example after example of Peter and Paul and others calling these new Christians to their new identity. We see example after example of them being reminded of who they now are. And not surprisingly, those reminders that they're given are deeply rooted in and strongly echo the reminders that Moses and Joshua and the prophets gave to the nation of Israel about their new identity. I want you to listen as Peter gives Christians an identity reminder. And his reminder echoes the words of Moses. This is our theme scripture for the year, 1 Peter 2.9. Well, who are we? Well, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received the mercy of God. And Peter says, that's our identity. That's who we are. 
We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're people who belong to God. We're people who belong to God because we are the people who have been redeemed by God. That's our identity. That's who we are. We have that identity because that's who God has made us to be, who he has declared us to be. But we also have that identity because that's who we declare ourselves to be. Listen to what Paul has to say about our identity as he quotes Genesis and he hearkens back to Abraham. This is in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Paul says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, who are we? What's our identity? Well, Paul tells us that we are the true children of Abraham. Not because we have his physical DNA, but because we have his spiritual DNA. You know, the paternity test for Abraham's children is belief and faith in God. That's how we know that we are his children, if we have belief and faith in God. We are Abraham's children because we have embraced the God as our God and his story as our story. Believers are the true children of Abraham. And as children of Abraham, we are a conduit. We're the one who pour out God's blessings to the nations. And as Abraham's children, we are blessed by God along with Abraham. Who are we? What is our identity? Well, God has declared that we are chosen, redeemed, priestly, holy people belonging to him. And we have declared that through our belief and through our faith, through our Abraham DNA, that we are his children, the true children of Abraham, blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the world around us. That's who we are. That's our identity. And out of that identity, out of our identity, flows our mission. You see, we do because of who we are. We do because of who we are. So what do God's people do? Well, they do God's mission. That's what they were made for. I'll have more to say about mission next week, about God's mission for us next week. But I want us to end this week by giving a quick overview, giving a a taste, a broad outline of what God intends for his children to do. So listen and hear these scriptures that tell us about God's mission. Probably won't surprise you, we're going to start with Abraham. Listen to what God has in mind for his chosen son, Abraham. Genesis chapter 18. 
This is God's voice. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. See what God's doing there? He's taking a, a very long view. All nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. But then he brings the focus back very closely to now with Abraham. What's Abraham's mission now? Well, Abraham's mission now is to replicate. It's to produce more of God's children. And he's to do that by directing and teaching and modeling for his children and for all of his household what it means to walk in the way of the Lord. God's going to take care of blessing all the nations through Abraham. Abraham's mission is to take care of his family and his household and to direct them in the ways of the Lord. So they too will follow him and do the right things. And bring justice to their world. And see, Abraham's mission is God's mission, and God's mission is our mission. So our mission from God is to take care of our households, our children, to produce and replicate people who walk in the way of the Lord. Let's move from Abraham to Moses as he gives Israel their mission from God. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. Moses stands in front of the people and he says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What's your mission? What does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore. And do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Well, as God's people, what is Israel to do? Well, first notice that their mission begins with and is driven by their profound faith in God. By a profound obedience to God. By a profound love for God. And because they have that faith and that obedience and that love, then they're able to actually walk in God's ways. And what does it mean to walk in God's ways? Well, it means doing what God does. 
Moses tells them, your mission is to do for others what God has done for you. Specifically, he says, your mission is to defend the defenseless, to love the unloved, and do that in the same way that you were defended by God and loved by God. And remember, Israel's mission is God's mission, and God's mission is our mission. So our mission is to do for others what God has done for us. Since God has rescued us and God has redeemed us, since God has made us his, his children, we have an obligation to God to walk in his ways, not in our old enslaved ways. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, begin reading in verse 12. He says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's our mission? Our mission is to be led by God's Spirit. To be led by God's Spirit in God's ways. Our mission is to turn aside from being led by our old way of life. Our old spirit. Our old self. And to be led by God's Spirit in God's ways. And how do we know that they are God's ways? Well, Because God's ways are always good. Listen to what Paul says as he writes to Titus in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, since we have received God's grace, since we have been redeemed, since we have been purified, now that we have been made God's people, what is our mission Paul says it's to be eager, to be eager to do what is good. We've been blessed by God. We've been blessed by God with a new identity as his children, and out of that identity flows our mission. Our mission must be rooted in profound faith, profound obedience, and profound love. And when it's rooted in faith and obedience and love, then we will walk in his ways. We'll be led by his spirit. 
always eager to do what is good and eager to bless others in the same way that God has blessed us. We have been blessed by God in order to bless. So as God's children, may we always be a community of memory and a community of celebration. May we never stop celebrating what God has done for us. But it, may it never be said of us that we stopped with celebration. See, may we also be a community of faith and obedience. May we never stop being faithful and obedient to our mission, to God's mission. Faithful and obedient to what God wants to do through us. See, we've been blessed with a new identity. May we always be a blessing. So I ask you this morning, Netherwood Park, why make his mission your mission? And our answer this morning is because we are his people and his people have been made for his mission. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before you as the rescued, as the redeemed. Father, not because of anything that we did to deserve that, but Father, because of your great compassion and your great love for us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. And it's by him that we claim our citizenship in your kingdom. And it's by him that we claim our, Father, our DNA in you as your children. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. And Father, may it be said of us that we never forget what you have done for us, that we always celebrate the fact that you have made us your children. But Father, help us to understand that with that great blessing comes great responsibility, Father. Great responsibility to take your blessings to the nations. Father, work through us as you have worked for us. We pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Missional challenge number four. This is a people challenge, or maybe the people challenge. What I want you to do is this week, I want you to identify one thing, just one thing, that you can do better to better connect with God's people here at Netherwood Park. Maybe that's attending Bible classes when you don't normally do that. Maybe that's becoming a part of a small group. Maybe that's coming on Wednesday nights that you don't normally do that. Maybe that's showing up at the senior potlucks that you don't normally do. Maybe that's being a part of the youth events that you find it easy not to be a part of. But whatever it is, identify one thing that you can do that will better connect you with God's people. And then number two, part two of that is... Don't just identify it, actually do it. Let's end by singing a song. Let's stand up. Let's stand up for Jesus, the one who has redeemed us. Stay.